Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome to Muskoka Drawdown. I'm your host, Frank Young. I'm here on behalf of Climate Action Muskoka. Check out the Climate Action Muskoka website and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. My very special guest today is Gideon Foreman. He has studied renewable energy at the University of Toronto. He was a former executive director of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment and is now a climate change and transportation policy analyst out of the Toronto office of the David Suzuki Foundation. Gideon, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. First of all, Gideon, tell us a little bit about the Suzuki Foundation and a little bit of exciting news at the nature of things. Yes. Well, um, our well-known, iconic founder, David Suzuki, We'll be leaving the nature of things in the, after the 2023 season. He's been with the show for just decades, and uh, his uh, his daughter Sarika will soon be um, the co-host of the show after her father leaves. So yes, very big news. Maybe the biggest media story on CBC this year. Well, it's a big one for me because I've been a dedicated Nature of Things watcher for for decades and decades. So it's very exciting because, you know, David Suzuki's his voice, he has that magical voice that, you know, like Peter Zosky in the past, he would just just melt all our hearts. (laughs) I remember, uh, I'm old enough to remember Peter Zosky, waking up to Peter Zosky in Morningside. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, the David Suzuki Foundation, there's offices all over Canada. You guys do amazing work. Tell us a little bit more about the, the, the scope and the, and, the, sure. and the influence. Yes. So uh, we follow, you know, David's lead. A lot of organization is about taking the science and making it accessible to people. It's really very much what David's done throughout his life. He's a, a scientist, as people know, a geneticist. Yeah. Um, but he's also a science communicator, a science translator, and he takes the science and presents it to people in ways that have real purchase for them. We have three offices. We call our Vancouver office kind of the mothership, Frank. Um, (laughs) We've got about 60, I don't even know anymore, 60 or 70 staff out there, do a lot of work on oceans protection out there, fisheries, a lot of climate work out of there as well, a lot of work on renewable energy. And then we have offices in Toronto, smaller here, Toronto, of an office in Montreal, about a dozen staff in each of those. And we work a lot on regional issues there. I'm in the Ontario staff, uh, office. I work with other staff here doing a lot of work on uh, public transit because, as you probably know, the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions in Ontario is transportation, much of that cars and trucks. Yeah. So a lot of my work is just finding alternatives for people to the private gas-burning car, uh, yeah. whether it's bike lanes or, or public transit. Well, well. Since you mentioned cars, are are um, electric vehicles going to save the world? I don't think uh, they're going to save the world. I think that um, there is a role for electric uh, vehicles. 
We certainly say that the first thing is walking and cycling and electrified public transit. You know, private automobiles, even electric ones, are just not a very efficient way of moving people. I mean, you can either put 40 people on a, an electric bus or you can have 40 cars. Uh, you know, right. you can easily see what's more efficient in terms of moving people through cities. Yeah, that well, said, some people will never leave their car. And so if they have to have a car, especially in rural areas, uh, it should be electric. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, okay, let's get right into it. Is the Ford government's push to develop the Green Belt and build uh, Highway 413, is it ideological or is it practical that something that sort of has to happen? There are 100,000 new immigrants coming to Toronto every year. Are these development pressures on the Green Belt and, and uh, rural areas, are they real or fictitious? Um, lots of people are coming to uh, Ontario, especially southern Ontario, and we need to house them and move them. That's true. Let me say right off the bat that the Ontario government's implication that somehow immigrants are forcing them to build on the green belt is despicable. I, I completely reject this notion that somehow immigrants have done something wrong. Uh, we should welcome immigrants to Canada. They enrich the country enormously. So I first just want to get that out of the way. This has nothing to do with immigrants forcing us to to open up the green belt i completely reject that um we do need to house people we do need to move people but we need to do it within current city and town boundaries for a whole range of reasons first of all the green belt is incredibly precious i mean uh, we're never going to look back in 100 years and say we protected too much farmland and forest around toronto Indeed. and the good news is that within our cities and towns there's already lots of space that we could put people on. You'll, you'll forgive me, Frank, for giving a Toronto example, but along Toronto's Lure-Danforth subway line, many of the buildings are still to this day two stories. We could easily bring in gentle density along the subway line in Toronto and house hundreds of thousands of people. So the idea that we need to chew up the green belt in order to, ho in order to house people is ridiculous. And we also don't need more super highways. In Ontario, we have lots of highways already. Uh, we don't need 413. We have Highway 407 in Southern Ontario, which is um, grossly underused. Uh, it could really help us getting trucks off the 401 uh, and moving people, and we could have it up and running for those trucks tomorrow rather than, rating, rather than waiting a decade or more to build a new highway like 413, which would uh, destroy the green belt. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I understand, like, the infill is a good idea. It actually... Um, the right amount of infill adds enough density to really improve the quality of life, improves walkability. There's more exactly. cafes. The quality of life at cycling, you walk, you meet neighbors, you see people. It's safer to walk around with eyes on the street. There are huge things to be said. A lot of people love downtown Toronto because, for those right. very reasons. Yes. And yet we continue to build basically car-dependent sprawl in the right. suburbs, which is only car-dependent sprawl only works for the AAA, right? The affluent active adults so that's, <laughs> it's it's hugely yes. um, misguided development patterns so you think there's enough um, space in existing urban areas for 1.4 million homes that supposedly have to be built in toronto by 2050 yeah well 1.4 million housing units i mean they don't have to be all have to be homes i mean a lot of people are going to be renters they're going to be living in in rental units don't forget when uh, immigrants come to Canada, typically for the first few years that they're here, uh, they don't have enormous financial resources, so they tend to rent. And so if we're 
serious about providing for these new immigrants, and we have to be, we should provide affordable rental housing, affordable, walkable uh, rental units that are near public transit. These monster homes that the Ontario government wants to build on sprawl uh, will um, will do none of the things that we need to accommodate uh, immigrants. Uh, they yeah. will be expensive and they'll be far away. They won't be walkable. Um, yeah, just you name it. Uh, they, they are wrong in every way. Wow. So there's a lot of chatter that um, the, the people who donate, the developers don't do a, make major donations to the Ford government. And that is actually what's driving Ford to, pardon the pun, to, to build the 413 and the sprawl. It's just to pass or to, you know, a massive wealth transfer to, to developers. Are developers um, yeah, inherent, inherently evil or bad or is just the, the market mechanisms are wrong to, to drive for good development? Yeah, it's a really good question. Yes. I mean, I certainly don't want to, you know, tar all developers with the same brush. Some developers do want to build on the green belt and that's wrong. They just have to be stopped uh, from doing that. But it's interesting you ask the question, Frank, because, you know, recently I interviewed uh, a developer, um, the head of a, an organization of a real estate development company called Windmill uh, Developments. And they make a point of of producing uh, environmentally sustainable real estate, and they would never build on the green belt. And they, you know, their CEO just told me that out, <clears throat> just straight out. So I think that within the development community, there is division. There are some developers who want to produce um, sustainable, smart uh, units that people can afford, that are in you know areas where people can walk and cycle. And then there are some developers who are pushing sprawl. So I don't think you can. No. You know, tar the I, whole I, I always yeah. seem to think that develop that building houses is basically an irritant for developers because their main <laughs> project is 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 um is getting land rezoned so that they can collect the massive upkick in the land value yes. as soon as so it's all about land speculation and not yes. about building houses for these people. And and that is like so backwards and so perverse it, it makes you want to cry. It's it's horrific. I mean, think what we're doing. We're taking the some of, for example, Canada's best soils, best land for growing food, and we're putting these monster homes on it. I mean, it's just unconscionable, right? Yeah. Highway 413 is going to pave 2,000 acres of some of Canada's top farmland to build right. a highway that no one needs. Yeah, but but are but are, is the Ford plan not to um, what do they call it? Um, uh, do a land swap and add more space to the green belt in other areas? That's what they say. So first of all, there's a couple of things there. There, some of the land that they're proposing to protect, like the river valleys, urban river valleys, are already pretty much protected. So I really do have questions about whether they will actually protect um, additional lands. But the other piece is the whole principle is wrong. The green belt is a place that is supposed to be permanently protected. That was the intention. If you look at the green belt plan, permanent protection. If you start to open it up and pave and put monster homes on part of the green belt, you undermine the very notion of a green belt. Right. And I think it sets a horrific precedent for green belts and protected areas right across Canada. If you can open up a green belt to development, no forest in Canada is safe. That's our biggest concern. That's right. Um, Gideon, we have to take a quick break and uh, we hope everyone will stay and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. 
by Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome back, everyone. My uh, special guest today is Gideon Foreman of the David Suzuki Foundation. And we're talking about the highway, um, proposed Highway 413 and um, and the ev- invasion of the Greenbelt by, by more sprawl. Um, Gideon, we need to rebuild the we need to rebuild the entire built environment in order to move to walkable communities linked by rail or, or clean fuel transit. But that's a massive undertaking. Like, I mean, at some point we have to do that. But are, is development getting denser in the Toronto area? And is this just a natural progression? And is is Doug Ford's government just offside and where we have to go anyway as we welcome hundreds of thousands of new people to the GTA? Yeah, I think the Ontario government is completely offside. I mean, it's like they're back in the 1950s. You know, in the 50s, you could sort of say we didn't know that, you know, that paving green spaces was a problem. But in 2022, um, the Ontario government is completely offside. The hopeful piece in this is that we are seeing, to your question, some um, developments that are that make sense. We are seeing some affordable housing being built in Toronto. Um, in my neighborhood, I, I live uh, downtown Toronto, you'll forgive me, but in our neighborhood, um, on the Honest Ed site, where Honest Ed's this big um, bargain house used to be. Everyone, everyone knows what that is. Everyone knows Honest Ed's. <laughs> Uh, that came down in the last few years, and they're now building housing right at the corner of Bloor and Bathurst. And it's, I think, a model of really good gentle density. It's about 20 stories or so, uh, a number of different buildings. They have a mixture of market and affordable housing. Some of them, uh, some of the units, I understand, are deeply discounted. But it's an example of what you need to do. It's yeah. right on the subway line. It's right on a bike lane. Uh, there's a streetcar right there. So it's a walkable community. There are good schools, the schools that I sent my own kids to. And that's an example of smart development. Um, and it's the opposite of the sort of thing the Ontario government is doing in terms of building uh, sprawl. So, uh, yeah, the Ontario government, to answer your question, is completely out of step with smart planning and smart urban development. But there are some hopeful things that we're seeing in places like Toronto with this with the beginning of this building along uh, along transit routes. Have you, um, you probably have your ear to the ground in the GTA. Uh, I understand you had, a, there was a survey done, you guys uh, orchestrated, find out what people are really thinking out there. Yes, we don't use the word orchestrated, but, <laughs> but we did, we did commission ECOS research, absolutely. No, I mean, it's important because we really wanna know what people are thinking. And so we, we hire ECOS, so they're at arm's length, they approve the questions, they do the, the fielding of the survey, they uh, they interview 800 Ontarians. And the numbers were very interesting. And I think, you know, at 800, you're getting a scientifically valid sample. It's it's plus or minus about three and a half percent. But so one of the things that ECOS asked uh, Ontarians was, do you think the provincial government should do more to protect Ontario forests and wildlife? And 85% of Ontarians said, yes, they agreed that the province should do more to protect forests. And then yeah. uh, ECOS asked Ontarians about, specifically about a highway in the green belt. And 76%, like three quarters of Ontarians said the green belt is no place for a new highway. Um, and, and another three quarters, 75% said that we should treat the climate situation as an emergency. So what we're finding from the polling is that Ontarians are really concerned, quite rightly, about protecting, uh, about protecting nature, about 
um, the climate crisis, and they also feel the Green Belt is no place for a highway. So Ontarians are going in one direction and the Ontario government is going in the opposite direction. So it sounds like that it truly is a sweetheart deal between the Doug Ford government and the, and the, and the developers. I, there's two ways of addressing um, uh, sprawl and where people build houses. One is the command and control way, which is the government right. says, okay, you're going to build here and not here. Another way is market mechanisms. Yep. I've actually been looking into land value taxation, which yep. is by, promoted by Henry George for, for 100 years or so, where it levels the playing field between infill, infill and, uh, and greenfield sprawl yep. because we need to change the feedback loops to the developers. Developers are, I, I completely concur with you, they are good people, they're just business people, and they want to, they have to make a living for their staff and their, and their shareholders, et cetera. But, and so they follow the market mechanisms that exist mm-hmm. today. And the market mechanism now is, you know, get greenfield re, um, re, re, rezoned, rezoned into yeah. sprawl. But if, if we had land value taxation, there would be no incentive to, to, to develop sprawl because, um, the, the, the upkick in land values would not go to the person who buys the land. It would revert, it would accrue to government. Have you right. heard of land value taxation? I'm not really familiar with it, Frank, to be, to be honest. I don't want to mislead you there. I mean, I think the general principle of, strong disincentives for destruction of nature is right. I mean, it's not so different in a way from a carbon price or parking levy or something we've supported, road tolls. All of these revenue tools we're very supportive of. They just give people another reason to leave the car at home. And in the case of the tax that you're talking about, another reason to protect the green belt. So I think in general, we would be very uh, receptive to some of these um, uh, market mechanisms to protect nature. I do think in addition to that, we cannot only rely on those. I mean, protecting the green belt, saving the green belt uh, is absolutely crucial. And so I think we probably need a variety of things. We probably need some direct control from government that that um, prohibits completely development in certain areas. And in tandem with that, we could have some uh, of these uh, revenue tools that you suggest that could also uh, help to protect nature and also generate a lot of money. Exactly. For, for things like public transit and other good things that we need, affordable housing. Yeah. Um, instead of continuing with sprawl, should we be moving to like um, uh, um, core uh, downtowns, like European style downtowns throughout the GTA? And what about the 15 minute city? Does that make sense here? Yeah, absolutely. From so many points of view. I mean, sprawl is just bad. Uh, Needless to say, it's bad for the environment. It's also bad for people's mental health. I mean, so many people you read about this are in these sprawl communities. Uh, they have to rely on the car, so they're not getting much exercise. So that impacts mental health. There tends to be a lot of isolation in these communities. I mean, people need to be around other people. And so not the least advantages of these more walkable, transit-friendly, denser communities is that people's mental health is better. This is crucially important also in a society where we've got an aging population. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for seniors, and I've seen this in my own family, is isolation, where mom and dad in their 70s or 80s are on their own. But if they're in a community where they can walk and cycle, like you say, that 15-minute community where they are not reliant on a car, which they often can't drive as they get older, their mental health improves. So from every point of view, these more, I would call them more humane 15-minute walkable, cycleable, transit-friendly communities 
are crucial and we have to be moving away from the sprawl model for yeah. all the good environmental reasons and also just for human health reasons. Yeah, you. Um, there is a financial side of it. Like this highway, the new uh, 413 is sort of yeah. su uh, suspected will cost $6 billion. It might yes. end up to be double that by the time it's done. That's but anyway, right. that kind of money would go a long way towards light rail and electric buses oh and my God. throughout the entire GTA. It's a tragic um, misappropriation of funds and a tragic missed opportunity that just, just makes you weep. Absolutely, Frank. In 10 seconds, your listeners could come up with better uses for that 6 to 10 or $12 billion. I mean, how about yeah. building more hospitals, hiring more nurses, more affordable housing, public transit? We could come up with a list of things that society really, really needs than an unnecessary uh, sprawl-inducing superhighway. Absolutely. The opportunity costs of building uh, the 413 are enormous. And it's even more tragic given that we have Highway 407 in Southern Ontario, which sits empty most of the time. You know, yeah. some research has yeah. been done. What we could do is lower the cost. We, I mean, the Ontario government could lower the those tolls on Highway 407. That would cost something, but a fraction of the cost of a new highway. Lower those tolls, get trucks onto 407, and we get them off for 401, which would make drivers on 401 very happy, I can tell you. Those 53-foot trucks uh, don't please anyone on 401. And the other thing, bonus, we could do it tomorrow. We wouldn't have to wait a decade or more for a new highway. We could do it tomorrow. So let's make better use of the highways we already have. I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting uh, animated and I'm ranting. <laughs> Good thing this is not video. We'd see you gesticulating <laughs> wildly in, in the air. of my hair coming out. Yeah, no, it makes me, it makes my blood boil the way. Yeah, indeed. Um, you, uh, I've been reading some of your stuff on the on the Suzuki Foundation website. You write really passionately about the little things in nature, like um, nature yeah. corridors and, and and animal wild animals in urban areas. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's just been a passion all my life, um, nature in cities. And one of the really exciting things, again, I live in Toronto, but one of the exciting things I've seen in the last few years is just how wildlife is coming back. You know, during the pandemic, I mean, I had foxes running through my downtown neighborhood in Toronto. I can't tell you how that, I just how heartening that is to me to see foxes. And they were actually these silver foxes, which are quite, quite beautiful. Wow, um, I've never seen those. Yeah, yeah, with their black and gray and silver, yeah, and, and at night. Um, coyotes are coming back. We've got opossums in our downtown neighborhood and, and on and on. A deer in the Don Valley, not far from the Don Valley Parkway, uh, I, I've seen deer and rabbits. And, and, and it's very heartening, I mean, that we haven't, uh, we haven't made it impossible for these wild animals to live in the city. They're an immense blessing. Uh, you still get salmon and trout in the Humber River. Uh, yeah, so that, that's one of the things that I just find very, very uplifting. Uh, and I try to convey that when I when I write about it to other people. You see the life around us right in the city. Gideon, thank you so much for coming on my show. It's been really encouraging and it's uh, you're incredibly informative, informed and, uh, and articulate. I really, uh, I really appreciate coming on on my show. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. My pleasure. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. OK, bye for now. Bye. I went to the country to escape the noise and lights And I laid there in the pine cones all night I woke in the morning and all the trees were gone I got
got this sinking feeling Everything felt wrong There were strip malls and dollar stores And diesel and the 